everybody, and welcome to This Week in Innovation's Seven Trends to Look For in 2022. We interrupt our Startups of NRF series to, to look at some of, the, some of the things that we see really impacting the game um, in the upcoming year. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hey, Brian, how you doing today? Doing great, Jeff. How about you? Fantastic. Well, I'm glad to see we've, we've finally connected again. My podcast partner, my buddy over here, you, Brian, have had, have had to go solo for a couple of weeks. So we're, we are having tremendous growth at Iterate, and that's my full-time gig. And I've been spending a lot of time visiting customers and, and getting involved in as a part of this growth. I've been traveling a lot, and it's all great. Yeah, we're experiencing growth, and finally I'm able to maintain my A-list preferred status. <laughs> Fly, <laughs> even in a pandemic time. So how much fun is flying right now? Because I'm about ready to do it next month going back to New York. It's, it's not very much fun because I think, you know, it's it's actually the same or actually or even worse because now airlines cut down their staffs and then slowly they're staffing up. So there are a lot of delayed flights and getting stuck in the airports. And so far, I haven't had any any bad, any in any of those eventful things. Actually, once or twice where I ended up staying in the star- tarmac for an hour or two. But other than that, I think it was okay. Well, but if the situation has got worse, it's not better. It's, it's, it's worse than the pre-pandemic levels. You're really getting me excited for that trip back to New York City in January for NRF. I, I can't tell you, you're really, you're really making me get excited about that. Yikes. Interesting. I bought my ticket, cheapest ticket I've ever bought to go back to New York, 314 bucks nonstop SFO to JFK. So as crazy as the travel is, it's actually the cheapest I've ever done by a couple hundred bucks. I don't quite understand the economics of that, but it is what it is. So Brian, we're, we are wrapping up 2021. It has been a extremely difficult year in a lot of ways, but when I look at the amount of innovation that I've seen, um, I, I, I still don't have the right way to describe it, but because I, I don't want to give COVID any positive energy, but there's no question that we've seen an amazing amount of innovation directly pandemic driven. I fully agree. I think you've seen the growth that we've seen in 2020, you know, due to COVID and the the great acceleration in digital happening and continuing throughout 2022, 2021, pretty drastically. And it was also those, the, I think the second, third quarters were also those times where, you know, people were quite wondering, going away and let's go back to work. And then there was a lot of self-discovery and how physical being in location, being on location for work versus digitally working from home. There's a lot of discoveries made in that space. But nevertheless, the digital acceleration in COVID continued because of the pandemic continued. And I, I think it's going to get accelerated even further because within the last few quarters, I think the right building blocks needed to set and be ready for the acceleration of the coming year has already been set. So I think now it's just a matter of building on top of these blocks. So as we wrap up 2021 and we prepare to go into 2022, um, curious if you have any thoughts on what are the big drivers that you are accelerants that you expect to see in 2022? Great question, Jeff. And in fact, that's one of the things I'm very excited to talk today about. As towards the end of the year, everybody did do their own predictions. And in fact, at Iterate, we did it a couple of times. And because of our growth and so on, I don't think this year we got the time to analyze. But for the last couple of days, I've been thinking about it a bit. And then I decided you know, to, to do this today. And I think it's a really interesting. Let me start by by setting up the context about these type of predictions. What's really interesting about a lot of these predictions and these growth plans and ideas that's happening around the world is that the trends that's happening around the world is that 
I think Bill Gates uh, said it once really well. And I think that even Fred Wilson, the venture capitalist from Union Square Venture, also has actually said it a couple of times in his blogs. People often, you know, overestimate what's going to happen in one year's time, but completely under, underestimate what's going to happen in 10 years. You've seen this in every prediction, right? There are predictions that I've heard in really, really well-repeated people saying in, in two quarters, pandemic would be done based on the studies, but it didn't, right? Just because of the nature of how things evolved. So within a year or two, things always progress slowly. But then within a horizon of five years, they, they progress faster. And then suddenly the curve, the hockey stick jumps from the 50th to the 10th year. So, I tell you, Brian, as an analyst, though, I anytime I hear any type of an a, a, you know, an adoption pattern from a vendor, I just multiply it by two. So if it's a year, <laughs> it's three or two and a half. If it's three, it's that's just been that's been a pretty good rule of thumb, actually, for for 20 plus years. So I would agree with I actually agree with what Fred is saying intuitively. And, and fortunately, I, I don't have to worry about the 10 year horizon. Although if I go back and look, because now I've been into two 10 year cycles in my career, so I'm coming up on 22 years. And that's probably a pretty pretty good way to think about it. And what we were worried about when I started at Gartner in, in 1998 is all, it was point of sale. <laughs> it was our and supply chain and merchandising. There were three buckets I, I have to worry about. I've got three buckets in just AI to worry about now. So, right. you know, the, 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 the of innovation is just it's coming like a flood or a, a tornado or you pick whatever craziness it is. And yeah, just in two 10 year cycles, the amount of things that each one of us as analysts worry about is just it's hundredfold more. And yeah, so I, I buy that actually. I think that's, I think you can really defend that. So that's that, the first thing that's in this journey is that as you, you know, look at, like you said, you've lived through the 10 years, seen through the 10, two 10 year cycles. As you see these cycles, you can draw a lot of parallels because I think regardless of how new or how different something is, a trend or a technology or even a business process or a model is, over over time, there's a lot of repeatability and the patterns play out. In fact, in some of the trends that I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about those trends as well. How do you see how do you see parallels from one universe to another universe? Right. Yeah, very interesting. Now I do have the right to, as an analyst, to to call BS on any of your predictions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You're afraid. laughs> so we're, so Brian yeah. is working with. I'd love to be challenged. You know? Brian is working without a net on these seven uh, seven predictions. So go ahead, N- prediction number one. Okay, so the first one I'm going to talk about is this is not so much in retail, but I'm going to draw some parallels to retails in here. You're going to have un- uncontrollable growth of direct-to-consumer finance and insurance companies, right? You've been, the last year alone, this coming, this last year, you've seen amazing amounts of acquisitions and spending in these companies, right? If you look at Square acquired Afterpay for $29 billion. In the m and SPAC space, there was $337.2 billion transaction volume just spent on this space. And also last year, I think that this, this, this year, there was about 20, 32 to $33 billion of financing that went into startups that are providing direct-to-consumer financial solutions or insurance solutions. What's really interesting about them is like a few years back, you saw that these, some of these companies were small and they were growing. They got pretty big funding and then some of them turned into what do you call the scale-ups or the unicorns. And now, then now the unicorns went public, right? And now some of them are being acquired by SPAC. 
But this trend is going to continue to grow and grow and grow. You're going to see a lot of companies in this space. There's going to be a lot of capabilities that's going to be coming, coming in, especially in underwriting technologies and this, and also in the emerging markets. You've, you've, like if you look at in the US, you have SoFi, which is basically a financial startup, right? You have eToro, you have Pagaya, you have MSP Recoveries, all kinds of interesting companies playing in this space. But there is, this is a space you're going to have sort of a crazy growth next year because this space is really mature, getting mature. And it's also like every part of the, the space is getting disrupted, right? From underwriting to consumer front ends to lead acquisitions to everywhere. The whole thing is getting disrupted, right? This is one of the places where market reasons, um, I'm a big, actually, I've always quoted a lot of it. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good source to quote. That's, it's hard to, hard to argue with his success, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, is the, the the software will eat the world? I mean, this is one these the, the, the finance and insurance are the industries where software is eating the world. And you are seeing on like a lot of direct consumer, all technology powered and AI machine learning powered companies coming in, and they're replacing banks, replacing financial institutions. As in our podcast, we focus a lot on retail. So if you think about retail, the parallels of it is that I think three years ago, pre-pandemic, right, two and a half, three years ago. You had a sudden growth of direct consumers, right? You saw a lot of, and one of the predictions I think I made in 2019 is without knowing the pandemic is going to be coming, is that we're suddenly going to create, see a, a drop in financing and in uh, D2C companies in retail. That was one of the predictions I made in 2020, predictions in 2019, December. But what's really interesting is that, like the direct consumer comes to the parallels of these financial and insurance startups in in, the, in in those spaces. But what happens though is like in retail, because of the, there is still, you know, even with the Amazon world, there is still a draw towards the physical store. It's not always about the CAC LTV map, which is basically the cost of customer acquisition has to always be significantly lower than the lifetime value of the customer, right? That's how all these companies operate. They have a, and when the companies start, they, they have lots of venture capital plowed into them. There is crazy growth of CAC, right? Crazy high CACs. And then the LTVs are somewhat there, but then they keep optimizing. They get to a place where eventually the companies have gained significant volume of customers that they can continue to grow and the revenues continue to grow. So that has been the traditional model. But in the retail, this model didn't quite work very well. There have been few companies that have obtained a billion dollar valuation. That's because I think it's also the physical aspect, the physical store aspect. A classic example is companies like Wabi Parker. They became big completely through the direct-to-consumer, but then they have to go back and open up physical stores in order to create the right experiences. So in retail, I think it has a better protection than other industries. But this whole direct-to-technology-driven direct-to-consumer is getting crazier and crazier. And in some industries, it's just going to completely plow it through. And you're going to see it, uh, see this even exacerbate or grow uncontrollably next year. So that's the first prediction. Do you want to hear the second yeah, prediction? I'd love to. I'm sure you know the second prediction. <laughs> uh, Number two, you've been doing series on this and I'm like, oh my God, Jeff is talking about metaverse. <laughs> he must make it right. The, uh, I, I, honestly, I'm, I, I fought it forever. And you, what sold me and I think I talked about this in, in our last pod. You weren't there. You were in some country or another. But the idea of having a metaverse school that I could put hundreds, if not thousands of kids in and have one teacher somewhere in, in another continent sold me. 
I went, man, that's it. That's exactly, that's what we need in Senegal. That's what we need in Congo. That's what we needed on Honduras. And then as I started to dig in, which is funny, Brian, I don't know if you realize, but I'm a multi-engine pilot. So heads-up displays have been in in the fighter pilot world for 25 years. There's nothing new about that. That's a metaverse. That's a secured platform with, with augmented reality data coming in, speeds, air armaments, threats, all of that. That's a metaverse. And we've really been playing then augmented reality. I'm a huge fan of augmented reality. Vir- virtual reality, yeah, you got to make that case for me, but augmented is a no-brainer. So the more I dug into that, I went, wow, this is interesting. And then, yeah, it's, this is one case where I'll lean into the buzz a little bit. Now, I, I like the smart metaverse and not maybe the silly metaverse. So communications, effective communications, effective product information, displays. I love that. I don't think I want to walk around in some goofball world, you know, as an avatar of a, a squirrel or something, but I'll leave, I'll leave that to other people. So from a retail perspective, I'm sold. I think there's, I think there's a lot of value in pieces of this technology. And that's something I think we're probably going to need to unpack. I think there's quite a few pieces, individual technologies, all at a different adoption cycles, which, which, which we just all rolled up into this whole thing. Okay, whatever. But as, as a forecaster, I would want to unpack each one of those technologies, augmented reality versus virtual reality, 3D objects, all that sort of stuff, because they're all at, at a different adoption cycles and different revenues. And then maybe roll that all up into whatever that metaverse number is going to be. And, it, and, and Brian, it's going to be a very big number. Absolutely, Jeff. But to answer your question, I'm actually going to look at two sub-areas. The first area in the metaverse is, which I think is next year, there's going to be a, an explosion or a growth of branded as well as retail experimentation. I'll explain you what it is. So today, if you look at it, like whenever a new technology or a shiny capability comes in where you can tap into consumers, uh, retailers and brands always jump in first, right? Because that's the way you can like get you engage your consumers and show them that you're an innovative brand. So this coming 2022, there's going to be portal of brands, retailers from beauty, fashion to, to traditional grocery. You're going to see metaverse experiments, right? So to some degree, what's going to happen is, uh, and somebody was telling me like the metaverse in the gaming world and the virtual world, you're going to create more. There's going to be a lot of content, a lot of creation that's going to be happening. So this whole explosion, this explosion, brand explosion and brand experimentation explosion that's going to happen next year is going to be powered by a few things. If you look at among all the big, big buzz, everybody talks about everything, right? You are actually going to be seeing the, the bigger companies, the, the FANG, they are all going to release tools, right? Facebook, for example, has the, the, the Metaverse Studio, free. It's a free tool you can build, right? Similarly, Snapchat has their kids. Every company is providing these three tools. Similarly, like that, there has been existing engines, Roblox, which a lot has been built. I don't know if you looked at the Chipotle burrito, $1 million burrito giveaway. There was kids just flooding into the network to, 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 to be a part of this, be a part of the burrito mix, right? Yep. This thing is going to happen a lot and brands are going to experiment, experiment. They're going to get the experiments better. But in order for the brands to do the experiments, the tools are already there. The ecosystems are providing tools, right? Facebook is providing tools. Roblox is providing tools. There are a lot of open tools with the Unreal and the Unity engine, which is actually very mature. Millions of games have been built in these things, very mature tool set. And then you're also going to have platforms that are providing already built worlds where you can reuse. There is an open platform called CCM, which even the U.S. military uses it, which gives already pre-built models, various 3D. You can go and basically visualize the whole of 
Puj Khalifa, you know, the tallest building in, in Dubai, the hotel. Mm-hmm. You can do these amazing things in it, right? But these worlds are all provided as open worlds. So brands could build on them. You could basically build a, a restaurant on Puj Khalifa and then show it virtually to people and have people come into it. You get all kinds of pretty sophisticated, really engaging, deep experiences. So brands are going to, so first the crazy explosion of doing experiments. You're going to hear one after the other brand releasing a, some metaverse thing with a meta tag, verse tag and a press release. <laughs> it's a, by, by next December, you're going to get sick of it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I've already got, since what, since doing that podcast a month ago, I, I better have 15 major press releases tied to this with the biggest company. So yeah, that's, that's a safe prediction. It's not even aggressive. So the counter is, okay, like everything, what, what do retailers do? Uh, when, when you've got an old time, when you got an old time analyst saying, listen, this thing is, I make fun of buzzwords when appropriate. I'm not making fun of this one. This yeah. is real. Yeah. I think the trick is like, just like when an explosion happens in, in every industry, in AI, in blockchain, now there is a part of the noise. And then there is the part of actual things happening and people learning from things and getting their experimentation tweaked and optimized and ready for commercial so that you're going to see that. And some of the brands are going to get better. They're going to create very strong uh, presence in these uh, virtual worlds, right, across. The, and they're going to also bring brands that are going to be successful, or brands that can create the presence in the virtual world, but link that presence into their online stores and also link that presence very gracefully into their physical world. Because the beauty of AR is you don't have to sit in your chair in your office or in your bedroom and experience a virtual world. You can be on the, in the store and turn on an AR with on your phone, right? This is already happening a lot in the beauty space, right? With virtual try-ons and mirrors and all that stuff. But it can also be transferred to a lot of other type retail as well, right? Like it doesn't happen so much in grocery. But, it, but I'm going to give you some examples that this can happen in grocery, right? As we go through other predictions. So this whole explosion, brand-related and retail-related explosion is going to happen. The other thing that's really interesting here is the tool set that's going to power all these things. Because the tool sets, like the open tool set, just like in how we saw the AI explosion, we've been talking about AI, the, the crazy growth of AI of $500 billion market and all that stuff. But when, one of the things to realize is even before that happened, the tools to build these things or the frameworks to build these things, Google had TensorFlow, Facebook had PyTorch, there is Scikit-Learn, all these open toolkits started floating in the market and commercial companies, even including retailers, took advantage of that and started building solutions. Same thing's gonna happen in the in this metaverse. There are there is highly matured tools and really good tool sets and platforms that are there that one could build experiments out of. Which I think is interesting. The second thing that's going to okay. so the other growth you're gonna also see is which is gonna happen more silently and more subtly, unless you research this topic, you won't know. Manufacturers and mobile operators and various companies are gonna start using the virtual and the metaverse world for simulations, right? Because simulations are a big deal in terms of efficiencies, right? Efficiencies in logistics, efficiencies in productions, efficiencies in simulating energy usage, many different types of things are gonna happen. So that, all that stuff can happen in a virtual world much more gracefully. And you even probably saw like NVIDIA CEO um, come out and Jensen come out and say the exact same thing. That's going to happen everywhere, and especially with the you know, 5G and operators. This type of simulation world is going to happen anyways. So that's another more subtle use of metaverse. You won't hear or see it in many places un- unless you look for it. But that is going to ha- 
that there's going to be very strong growth around that, right? Powered by AI and IoT. Metaverse. So Metaverse has two sections, which is the growth of brand explosion, experiments, and then the other is more of the large B2B players doing simulations and learning more using the metaverse. Yeah, you, getting non-consumer play. What I think is the most interesting about this is retailers aren't going to have to build tools to do this. I think, I'm sure there probably will, but there's enough out there right now today that we're not talking about a, a six or seven year build and homegrown software and all that. Literally, we're talking about stuff off the shelf to, to, to do some of this stuff. And so this goes back to your original point, Jeff, like this is a CMO spend. Yeah, exactly. Experiments are CMO spend. Three times, three to four times what, what IT spend is. And if that's all dumped in the CMO or in yeah. the marketing budget, it's significant. So I think the call out that I'm hearing from you, and it's certainly one I believe, is that we are in a time of fundamental transformation that is rapidly accelerating. And this is maybe the most interesting example of it, how fast this thing's going to evolve. So if you're a retailer that's sort of, you know, eh, maybe taking a slow approach to this, just be very advised that your competitors are all going to be moving fairly aggressively because this stuff's literally off the shelf. Yeah. And my philosophy on that is don't be afraid to experiment. Bingo. You know, Now's the time out. to make the mistakes. And also try to hook it up to your physical store. Yeah. This might be a great way to you know, bring back that traffic and create a deep engagement. Well, there's two or three startups that, that, that I've already interviewed that are tied, and that'll be at the um, uh, NRF, I think, Startup Zone or Innovation Lab that are tied to this very thing. So it is moving very fast. This is as fast as anything. I, didn't, I couldn't spell the word metaverse, what, six months ago. And so I've pivoted that fast, how fast this uptake is going to be because it's touching the consumer. So just be advised, you better be expecting get, to get a lot of calls from the, the, the CEO in four, four or five months if you're not doing something here because they're going to get hammered on this point because it's going to happen. So It's so public and it's going to happen so quick because all the infrastructure is already, already built out. First generation, it'll, it'll improve, but enough to get going. So I agree. That's a huge one, Brian. It's also very campaign and marketing friendly. Bingo. There, you, you launch it as a campaign, test it out, see what happens. If it's great, then think about it foundational ongoing type of a solution for you. The other trend, of course, drum roll, which we already know, and many of us have spoken about many times, which is basically the, the faster adoption of low code. I'm not just saying low code, because part of me strongly believe that low code was last year's trend, right? The faster adoption of low code. There are a number of things um, that are going to drive to this, because now that, especially with covid We've been actually one and a half years of COVID almost, right? A year, year and a half of COVID, which every organization knows that they have, they want to have very graceful digital touch points. So you want to be able to bring in solutions to market a lot faster. Click and collect, scan and go, endless aisle, right? Order online and get it delivered at home delivery. AI-driven prescription, AI-driven chatbots, AI-driven voice application. These are all things, personalization, all these things are all table stakes now. They are no longer, you know, if, if these things are sitting in your roadmap as a retailer, you have to move really. They are actually table stick. Now everybody's thinking about the second version of it, which is with the contextualization of these things, right? How do I know Jeff is right now at home and he's going to go do a pick order online pickup in store? Or is, it a best, is this the best time to deliver for Jeff? Not determining whether Jeff is going to order or going to order online. We already know Jeff's going to order online. Now the question is, Should he, should he come and pick it up at the store or is it better to deliver for him at the, the, and give him the best price at this moment? So a lot of that, a lot of the stuff is becoming table state. 
So all of that's going to be powered by low-code because low-code is really strong in this area. You can bring solutions to market. I think the low-code market itself is very large, 220 plus billion. The other thing that's really interesting about low-code is traditionally a solutions like this was delivered and built by IT, right, in the longer roadmap horizon. But then I, even IT is realizing that digital demand from the teams are so fast, so quick, certain things we want to go at, at the at a different speed. And low-code enables them to still connect all these things to the enterprise, be compliant with the enterprise requirements, but go at a different speed, the second speed. And that speed is essentially powered by the low-code. Microsoft has a great prediction where 500 million apps will be built in five years and 450 million of that's going to be in low-code. But the other thing, that's one, one need. This is the natural need from Due to the pandemic, due to the great digital acceleration, you're seeing that. There is another trend that's also happening is the, the waves, like we talked about, the five forces of innovation is just hitting the market at such a great speed. So you're having, now when you when marketing comes to you and say, I want an oil changing app or I want a, an app for identifying damages for my vehicles, right? Like damage estimation for insurance or whatever, or a medical app, food recommendation app for allergies, whatever the, whatever your business may be, when marketing comes and tells you that, you can't just go to your agency and build an app because these apps have, give you PLD on it, underneath the covers, need to look at reams and reams of data to build recommendations, contextualization for the user. So AI is penetrating deeply because in order to do deeper contextualization, you use, you need machine learning. You need a lot of data, right? You need to talk to all these enterprise systems, right? So it's no longer a simple agency, like I'm going to put an iPhone app, right? That will play you a sound. That's the, the traditional campaign apps, right? It's no longer that. You have to build sophisticated much faster than what you did before. These, app, these apps have to have the five forces of innovation in them, AI, IoT, blockchain, data, and integrations with startups. And they also have to have deep enterprise integrations to that. So it's a hard problem to solve. It's not a simple problem. But guess what? Low-code is going to enable you to do all these things. So you're going to see a great uh, propagation of that. The other thing that's also going to happen very fast is companies are going to say, you know what? I actually don't have time to develop. Oh, you great. You have a platform. Can I configure that? Can I have, can you give me a template that's configurable? And I can just configure it, bang, push it. So you're going to have a lot of that stuff where companies their delivery timelines are going to get shorter. They have to get, respond to the demand. It's today or never. So they have to actually figure out how, to, how do I get products faster to market, right? Because traditionally, when you, when you are a retailer, you have the technology selection, you see it goes to your IT and you issue an RFP and then some bunch of players come in and then you select a platform, you hire a team and put together an agency Then somebody like KPMG or Accenture comes in and you figure out the build out and you deliver a two-year roadmap. No longer feasible. Yeah. Right? It may be feasible in some projects like POS overhaul or commerce overhaul, but it's not feasible for all these digital capabilities. You have to have load code respond faster. And retailers are, you know, seeing this. And a lot of executives are very open to this. And they are they are very receptive and they are adapting. Even in our uh, interviews in the last few months, you, we've had executives who you know, who, who, who have done this themselves. You're going to see this a lot more. And I think that the, the, this whole concept of faster go-to-market, right? Because earlier, if you look at the traditional low-code world where Microsoft and companies are focusing on developers, right? The, the convincing developers, you got to adapt to a low-code platform. The next leaders are going to basically not 
the next set of vendors are focusing you know, be focusing on developers, but focusing on digital leaders and marketers. So you got this is the platform for you to get to market fast. Yeah. The thing I like the most about um, low code, and you've officially covered me. I am in the camp. It solves the biggest problem I had as a forecaster in that how could I fundamentally transform an industry without quadruple the IT spend, which which would have been the case in the old model. If you're Tigger, remember that Tigger, Tigger thing? Yeah, you're absolutely. About? No, absolutely. <laughs> how uh, Greg Music's one, you know, really one of his great insights, I thought, was that charge. How in the world do you transform an entire industry without while basically keeping your IT spend within five to six percent growth? And low code offers that capability. Think about the amount of innovation in a year and a half. And then try to imagine that 20 years ago or 10 years ago where everything was hardwired and it would have been a, a two-year project where some of the stuff that had happened literally within weeks, prototypes within days and weeks. Think about the infusion of AI coming in. It's not something a retailer can build themselves, fortunately. So they're, we're finally getting into that business that everything has to be a competitive differentiator and maybe I can just compete with the customer instead of having to compete with how I write software. Um, exactly. That is a exactly. fundamental, that is as big a shift as I've ever seen in, in an industry, going back to my my first days as a Gartner consultant in 20, uh, 19, 1997 or nineteen ninety eight, so that to me is what's exciting about it because now I can transform an industry inside a, an existing IT forecast. Perfect, Jeff. And then the next trend we're going to talk about is the rapid growth and also the final ad- adoption of enterprise AI, right? The last few years, there's been a lot of talk about enterprise AI, which is basically taking AI technologies and building it within the enterprise, within the IT organization, and building the foundational building blocks for this AI to become true. And then you can you know, deploy faster during as marketing comes with these requests for applications. But it hasn't quite taken a full stronghold because IT has been thinking about putting in data science teams and looking at it as a data analysis problem opposed to I want a comprehensive solution to, to any marketing requests or customer needs, right? I think that is transform changing. I think companies are slowly, as they're getting their hands on these type of AI challenges and problems, they're realizing we need to have platforms, not just one platform, but a series of platforms that, that, hook, that are hooked together that can meet the individual needs, whether it be a, a customer, a, a conversational commerce problem, whether it's a voice problem, whether it's an image recognition camera problem, whether it's a recommendation problem, whether it's an object identification problem, all these things, I need to use AI. I need to use AI to process tabular data. I need AI to process image data, video data, voice data. All these things AI is propagating, but then you need systems that can do together, right? Uh, so that's why I think this enterprise AI, which actually took started with a very wrong turn, which is very much an analytics enhancement play on the analytics and doing a lot of mega loads of tabulate. This is basically the big data sort of taking another form. We're going to look at big data, but you say, yeah, it's just not that. It's free more comprehensive. It has to look at everything. Data, uh, tabular data, voice data, you know, text data, object data, all kinds of things, right? All, and all of them connected together. So that is a bigger problem, but that is going to happen. It's going to happen better and better. And I think another thing that's going to happen is just like you said, like the, the innovation responsibility shifts to the CMO. I think there is going to be... Oh, careful, careful. We're going to get some hate mail on that one. No, I know, I know. But what's, what's going to happen is I think this is going to become a shared responsibility. There you go. I like that. A shared responsibility. Because I think what happens is both of them have to put their heads together, the, the CIO and the CMO, 
to build a comprehensive solution. And I think you are also seeing, and also in a lot of organizations right now, you are seeing leaders who are more tightly coupled at the hip to understand and work through challenges like these. And I also think, and I hadn't really thought of that until you just sent shivers down my spine, thinking of all of my CIO friends are going to skin me alive if I, I said that. A CIO can, in, in a truly low-code enabled environment can move faster and can say yes. A lot the- easier and also have very strong ability to ship yeah. using products. Because the best, best thing about, the thing I like about CIOs is that like they live in a world which is much more stable. What I mean by that is that they live in a world where things are much more cleaner, the products are delivered, they have, they, you run them through 100-point inspection, and they have to work repeatably, consistently. And then the CMO world is more responding to customer change, changes more rapidly. But then with the low-code and the AI infusion, where that is going to be a bridge, a very graceful bridge built between these worlds. I think so. I like that. Rapidly to customer, but at the same time, it it passes a 100-point inspection. And that comes across in the interviews we've done, just that I've uh, participated in on on this podcast, that it's a lot easier to say yes if you have a flexible platform that you can actually do something with and not spend three years and half a hundred million dollars to do it. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that. I love that prediction. What's the next one? The next one is basically efficiencies and transformational experiences happening in shopping, uh, especially in online shopping. Everybody says, okay, yeah, great, digital. Now everything is digital, direct to consumer, fantastic, direct to consumer. But even in there, there is subtle trends happening, right? One of the things that, that you will actually see is uh, your shopping cart following you, shopping experiences following you everywhere. Today, if you go somewhere to, say like Amazon, or even to any retailer, you go and do a shopping in Target. And then you don't complete your cart. You do see a retargeted ad of that content. And they'll follow you everywhere. And then the travel sites are the worst. You go on a Hawaiian vacation and come back. They're still retargeting you for Hawaiian vacations. It's really terrible. But what's really interesting, though, is that sometimes they help you because they help you convert pretty well through the data that, you know, that, that people collect. But what's interesting is the same type of things are going to happen with carts so that your card gracefully follows you wherever you go. I mean, a couple of months ago or maybe a year ago, Google did the whole virtual card where you go to a retailer, you're shopping on Target, but then or any retailer, assuming they implemented the Google capability and you don't complete the card, then in your Google search later, the card would appear. But that's just one vendor, like one search engine, one gatekeeper working with one retailer. But imagine a world where this is universal across everything. What I mean by that is you're shopping at Target. I'm just using Target's name for just an example. Shopping at Target, you didn't quite buy that product. You know, you are in Google, you see your cart, but then you go home in Alexa, you can pull the same cart again. So you can buy whenever you want, truly, and you can buy wherever you want. And they imagine that exact same cart comes in and zooms. Shopping becomes seamless, right? This is going to be, be powered by a number of things. One is like simplified technologies like Shopify and others going everywhere. Search engines and gatekeepers realizing they, they have to have avenues and tentacles outside their wall gardens and hookups with all the retailers and brands. And also the whole idea of consumers, like especially the modern shopping world is going beyond just Google. All the kids are in Instagram and whatever the new new thing, Roblox, wherever they are. So the cart, just having a cart on Google is not going to be sufficient. It's going to be across every touch point. So retailers ought to think about how do I build a graceful touch point where my business follows the consumer. Not that ugly retargeting ad, but actually my cart can follow this consumer gracefully. And it's going to be harder to do because with this cookie-less world we are approaching, 
the 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 lockdowns are going to get stronger but if it's done and planned you're going to see that you're going to see this trend following mm. okay interesting and my next trend is basically uh, there is going to be an explosion a growth of food tech and i love this food tech prediction because i think a lot of people have spoken about it it's one of those things this is a little bit like the whole you know crypto thing it started out a little bit early didn't quite happen and then people gave up on it but i think 2022 is going to see an explosion of food tech number of reasons with especially with omicron and all these things people are going to be at home more they're going to experiment they know even one out of every millennial one one out of every five millennials want to start cooking and and trying to do new recipes and new things so this food tech at home it's going to have five or six angles one angle is basically this angle of make it in the lab this is one of my favorites right i think i think fred wilson's had predictions some predictions in there a lot of different people did predictions in there in the next 5 to 10 years in a significant portion of the food we eat especially meat and other type of items are going to be produced in labs you're going to have a you know concussion in your uh, device in your kitchen <laughs> that's going to make you meat jab right so you're going to have this this like classic example right when my little one my 8 year old goes to mcdonald's and all these burger places all the time and when whenever i go with her i order i don't order anything but these days i order an impossible burger the other day i was uh, you know visiting one of i mean talking to meeting one of our uh, startups in santana row and then Guess what? They had uh, Beyond Meat on the menu. So this whole idea of lab creation is penetrating everywhere. Now the other, it you can find these things in Trader Joe's, in Safeway, everywhere. So this whole lab created food is going to become so pervasive and available, so ubiquitous everywhere. But then you're also going to have devices in your, you know, in your in your in your home where you can press on a button and create a mix them up together. So that you're going to have a lot of that stuff going on in your home. The other thing that's also going to happen in this, there is this startups that sell superfood. superfood vitamins being healthy is a, is a big huge trend you are going to see heavy exploration of that and then you also had this whole idea of can i get healthy food and everything delivered to me right delivery it was all about delivery and food delivery uh, you saw a great growth in it now delivery especially in the grocery world delivery to home or in the convenience world delivery to home is a table stick right you've seen mega companies like all the way from al with companies like GoPuff and others doing alcohol delivery to to delivery of every sort of grocery items food items instacart uber eats and you you're seeing this everywhere so that's that you've seen billion dollar growth already billion dollar come startups emerging and growing but you're going to see billion dollar companies come in the superfood area in cloud kitchen area you've already seen a few companies like beyond meat and impossible burgers going to become billion dollar companies in the creation of food but you're going to see lots of such companies coming next year in the in in the food tech i think food tech is going to you're going to see some amazing growth <laughs> yeah and you're going to have like lab created food is just to like lab created food <laughs> like you're going to see a lot of that stuff so that that's my sixth trend and my seventh trend is somewhat tied to this which is basically the deeper sense of health software driven health as we know during the pandemic the growth of peloton peloton started be previously but then you know everybody got a treadmill or everybody got a bike and then you have these beauty products tons and tons of products at home people got and then you also a lot more people ended up using consumers buying direct to consumer products that are very very health related the usage of vitamins have gone up like algorithm driven beauty tests have gone up keto is another crazy market which you're seeing a lot of startups algorithmic driven recommendations right startups basically selling 
right? Healthy health products and products that are customized to your need, right? Because basically the personalization of N equal ones, one is up getting applied, right? Because in traditional retail, you always saw segmentation, but now you are seeing N equal ones. N equal ones means, you know, it's just for you, exactly. For, it's not like for people, uh, men between this age group, lived in Morgan Hill, <laughs> doing this activity. It's exactly for you at yeah. this moment. Right? So when you take N equal one personalization and mix it with contextualization, it becomes very powerful. You're going to see that sort of recommendation coming in health. I love that is very prescriptive to, to you. My wife is keto and I can personally attest it is a nightmare sh- um, shopping because I'm not keto, but I, I want to support her. And if she sends me to the store, which has already happened numerous times, I come back with the wrong stuff. So I will climb into any grocer's metaverse in a heartbeat. I'll even wear an Oculus Rift headset if it just if i could go into the store and just see the stuff either i should buy or more importantly the stuff i'm not supposed to buy for, for keto and, and, and keto's today and tomorrow it'll be something else and the day after it'll be something else literally what i do know brian is gets back into the, the whole covid thing that we know the healthier you are and the more optimum weight you are you know and i want to be careful what i say but there's there's you have a better chance it, it, against this virus and probably every other virus if you're if you have your body in prime optimum shape and so as somebody that's on the other side of the age curve that becomes more and more important and i'm absolutely looking for more tools brian when i ran cross country and track in high school and college we tested our pulse at the end of a sprint by putting our finger over our neck and counting Today, when I hike, absolutely, yeah, I want to do that for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm monitoring my heart rate, and when I hike up a Harvey Bear Trail, I'm, which is a, a steep incline, I'm monitoring my heart on a second by second basis, and I'm literally adjusting my attack of that hill based because my wife, the nurse, has given me don't get your heart rate over such and such a. It is uh, it's unbelievable, and so in my lifetime, I've seen this just amazing shift, and so there's just no question that. The more we learn, uh, the more we're going to want to optimize or more and more people are going to want to optimize their whatever their program is. And if it's food allergies or if it's whatever the case may be is. And gosh, grocers, if you want the the benefit of this, uh, Jeff, in retail, right? we always love talking because a lot of our listeners are retailers and we want to help our friends and the leaders there. One of the things that's really opportunistic here for retailers, like traditional retail personalization or recommendation has always been very, look at what Jeff has bought previously. But in this world of health and you know, wellness, the transactional only goes so far, right? You have to have a very holistic approach. So every retailer now have to figure out holistic approaches of measuring and understanding what their consumers want, which is actually, it may sound like a big project and a lot to do, but actually it's good for them on the long run. Because this will allow them to understand each of every one of their consumers more intimately. Because one of the things that has never been done in the food world is there is no onboarding process, right? Like for imagine a world where Kathy can have have an app from one of the target or one of your retail friends. They can turn out, scan all her food items, then it will use augmented reality, map the whole thing. Good, and once perfect. it's scanned, everything goes into the cloud. Machine learning runs on top of it. Everything that's in Kathy's shelf, right? And also maybe even in her bathroom mirror, like pharmacy, like mm-hmm. all the tablets you're taking, right? So then now machine learning can understand, okay, don't eat this food item because it would basically collide with this prescription you're taking because the doctors never tell you 
they may just tell you a little bit, whatever is being reset. But there are so many hidden ingredients people don't know. So algorithmic def defined recommendations are going to become more and more powerful. And you're going to know that. And then eventually, like, that's what something retailers will do. But also these gatekeepers, like the Apple Watchers and all these guys, they are going to integrate these capabilities in there because they already know half of what you are doing. And they're going to, and then the other really things interesting is that this connected world is also exposing their capabilities. It's really interesting if I have, I have a, a treadmill sitting behind me. I course, see that. Is it behind you? Yeah, it's not a Peloton. It's a cheap treadmill I bought in. I wanted a treadmill that would go into 15 uh, inclines. So I bought this treadmill in Amazon, on Amazon. I should have not done that, but hey, I, it, hey it came to my Brian, I got a, I got a hill. You you can hike with me. We'll get you your 15 degree hike. Yeah, That's not yeah. a problem. But, so what was really interesting is I can tie the treadmill to my Apple Watch, and then I and then I can go to the health app, and I can pull everything. And, and then when I go to gym, my gym app also hooks up to my 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 Apple Watch as well, the life fitness. So I can pull everything together and I can get a consolidated picture of my workout, my routine, my, my health routines from aerobic activity as well as regular walking and even just standing up. So it's very powerful when you get a complete picture. And then imagine a retailer should basically integrate in their portals and stuff. They should reward consumers who would upload this information to them, Right. You don't need to go do a partnership with some some United Healthcare to pull this data and deal with all the red tape. You can simply ask the consumer, we give you rewards, whatever, or you, you will recommend your routines, right? Because everything we do is run 30% of what every human, every consumer does every day is completely routine. For some people, it's like 85, 90%. How do you map these things into their life? And I, as a consumer, as long as my retailer, tr you know, I trust them with my data and protect it, I'll give you... And, and I'm usually the privacy guy, but I'll give you all that because it's all about how do I make this machine I live in called my body more efficient and more effective. And I've got tools all around me, the Apple Watch being a, a fundamental game changer. How that shifted my workouts is just almost uncalculable. And Absolutely. that's only the beginning. And so how do I... This is a big opportunity in you know, 2020. They should think deeply about this. And yeah. you tie all that together and I will absolutely continue to do business because it's not just it's not just my climbing or my workout, it's what I'm putting in. So if I'm putting in 5,000 calories and, and only burning 2,000, then there's a problem. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Very interesting trend. I, I agree with you on that one too. And the final trend is the, the emergence of the tentacles of power. We talked a little bit about the tentacles, right, of power. What this means is just like the way you interact with the computer. You have your keyboard, you have your mouse, you have your, your visual. You also have your touch, multi-touch pads. But guess what? That these input devices, input-output devices, allows you to communicate with the software that's underneath the brain, the system that runs it. So if you look at a, a commerce site, the site is basically the input-output to the consumer and the retail. But what happens is in, in different verticals, as you're a retailer, it's an insurance company, there are different tentacles of additional tentacles of, of the, that you are seeing. I'm going to explain you what that means. A classic example is take, for, a, for instance, a, a beauty retail, right? In the old world, if you were to make a beauty product, you have to go and manufacture a product. That product gets manufactured in a manufacturing facility somewhere in another country and it gets shipped and then you are selling that beauty product. But if you look at that beauty product, assuming we want to make a foundation, like a specialized, personalized cream for Jeff that removes redness. If that Jeff goes through an online questionnaire on a website, I remember David, your son was doing some of those things, right? Yeah, the wild Yeah. So, so if you were to like, you know, to do that, you go through online a questionnaire, that data goes into the cloud machine learning, understands and will deeply understand Jeff's skin type. 
and everything, and then sends that information, and then to the marketing guys and the product people, they formulate and they work with the different brands and the labs that you manufacture it, right? In the next world, you could actually, that device, that manufacturing device could sit in your, in your kitchen or in your bathroom. You can just go on your phone, just do, answer the questionnaire, even take a picture of your face and click on a button, bam, it will create your, your cream right there in front of you. There are already companies starting to do this type of mixtures. And there are quite a few companies doing it, right? It can be a cream, it can be a lipstick, it can be a foundation. In, so that device is the tentacle of power. What I mean by that is every intelligence that needs to build and make that lipstick is actually in the cloud. It's in software. It's not in the hardware. That's a dumb piece of hardware. It's just a tentacle. But that tentacle is powered by through software. Right? So that's what this philosophy of tentacle of power is. Right? Another classic example is, say, you are a, a company that does um, oil changing or, or car repairs or car or, or, or car maintenance company. You have a camera, like on, like in every bay of the vehicle coming coming in. You can watch the vehicle, and it's just a dumb camera. The camera is not very sophisticated. But guess what? There is intelligent software behind it that's actually trying looking if your vehicle actually has a chip in the glass windshield. You see, do you have a dent? And all the data is captured and converted into machine learning, and then it allows you to give intelligent estimation, maintenance, and build a digital twin. So this whole digital twinning of a, every physical activity is going to happen. It, this digital twinning is amazing because it's connected to, to, to machine learning. It's connected to AR, VR, AI, the metaverse world we talk about, because every physical object is going to have a digital twin of it. So these two digital twins are going to get collected by using these tentacles. The camera is a good tentacle, an actual one of these uh, beauty manufacturing device is another tentacle, right? Another tentacle that you would see is very simple health test. You like you hold your finger in and it runs through your Apple Watch, right? Your Apple Watch, right? Behind, if you look at this Apple Watch, right? This this sensor in the back, right? Your Apple Watch is an amazing tentacle of power, right? Because this sensor right here, the other back, can capture so many things, right? Your pulse, your heart rate right? Your oxygen levels, everything. So that, and then guess what? Where is the intelligence? The intelligence is not in this piece of hardware. It's actually in the software that runs it, right? So these tentacles of power, you're going to see more and more sensors, more and more of these type of things that are not very sophisticated, but when you combine them, couple them with very powerful software, it's going to have amazing power, right? You're going to see an explosion of that. And next year, I'm going to see a lot of that. It has been so far transparent, but you are also going to see that happening within verticals in every industry, beauty, insurance, finance, every industry. And in the IoT world, those tentacles are increasing by billions every year. The, every, every, the, and it's not so the, far yeah, the product, Jeff, like, because they don't have the fanfare. <laughs> it's happening so subtly, but it's happening in a, such a powerful... The old, the classic Intel forecast on IoT devices were, what, I think, what, two or three billion now and then 50 billion in, in X number of years. In your definition, I assume every IoT device, every single one is a tentacle, some big, some small, right? Absolutely. And every they're, feeding, they're feeding one data point on one... You know, one thing or they're feeding zillions of things in it, but it's still going back in to be processed, to be analyzed. And, and so in, in the world of IoT, those tentacles become massive and, and increasing. So what do you do with them? Yeah, that's the defense. Yeah, I couldn't argue with that. That makes all the sense. The best thing is it's not just an IoT device. It's also every device that you see. Software is going to 
convert it to a tentacle, like a camera, for instance, right? Oh, you don't yeah. think about a camera. Yeah, you never think about a camera yeah. as an IoT device. No, but a camera but is actually connected somehow. somehow. I mean, you're yeah, yeah but connected, but it's gonna it's gonna become a very powerful tentacle, right? And I think this digital twinning is gonna happen, and these tentacles are gonna enable the digital twin through 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 powerful AI and software in the back, right? If you look at all these themes, everything that I we talked about these eight things I've talked about. There is an underlying thread. It's the power of the software. <laughs> it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. We don't think about it every day. Our lives are driven by algorithms. It's heavily driven by algorithms, and we just don't realize it. So what you're saying is that Mark and Dries' piece we analyzed, what, a couple months ago or so was probably more accurate than he even dared dream of when he wrote that yeah, many, many years yeah, ago. I, I don't think he probably even realized how deep this penetration will be, right? It's happening. It's, we are seeing this every day. Every industry, every vertical, um, and, and every minute of human life transformed through the power of software. And then to wrap it up from a retail perspective, the amount of information coming at you is increasing exponentially. The opportunities are legion and the price for failure is catastrophic. Absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, even though there is a big apocalyptic method, there is also a great opportunity and also a path to get to that opportunity. The opportunity is that if you play along, do a lot of experiments, if you build the right structure, get to market fast with what your consumers want, you will win and you will win. And the other thing that's really good about retail is that a lot of tools for you to win are already there. And which is the interesting part, right? Because in some areas, it's hard to win. Think about the hardware world, right? Like the A16 Apple chips and the phone, the nanometer manufacturing and everything. Not everybody can do those things, right? The sophistication is just how many people, can, how many companies can send rockets to space? <laughs> it's hard. hard. Well, you know, like, right now, maybe three. I mean, two companies, but they're still handful. Yeah, right? exactly. So That's the interesting about this, about this, uh, where we are in retail and the digital technologies and the five forces of innovation is that the tool sets are already there. They are at your disposal. I think now it's a matter of efficiently using them and getting there fast. There's nothing preventing you from getting to your destiny. Yeah, you know what I like about this story today in going through these, these trends is in the old days, you would always hear somebody say, imagine a world that, imagine a world this, or imagine a world that. And as an analyst, I was always very frustrated with that because one, retailers didn't have time to imagine a world that. So you couldn't just take a four-year jump and say, okay, we're here, but all of a sudden we're going to be there. When we start talking about the tentacles, they're there and, and increasing. When we're talking about the connected world, we're already there. We talk about the metaverse. There's already many pieces of it already in place. And then how do we get there if we have a nimble platform that allows for rapid experimentation and innovation, i.e. low code, we can actually talk about all these things. There's nothing that was a imaginary world that we didn't get in. I, I was waiting, Brian, I was waiting for you to say imaginary world that. And honestly, every one of your examples, even the ones that are a little bit reaching, are still tied to reality, a solid foot in yeah. reality, which is a great story for, for transformation and a big warrant note to the retailers that are think this they, they can let this whole time of fundamental transformation pass or they can survive it. You can't survive it. You either, you thrive it or you, it, it, it eats your life. Uh, there's the, you, you can't survive this time. You cannot, you have to be going full force. The, yeah, I think the intentional, I always loved your intentional yeah. statement. You have to intentionally do something about it. 
And then the best news is that the tools for you to do something intentionally about it is there, which I think is the is the promise and also the the hope, which I think is very powerful. I think that is a perfect place to maybe put a pen in 2021 and jump right into 2022 with a couple of good Morgan Hill wines that I will toast, uh, toast to your success, my success, and hopefully the world's success in 2022. Brian, thanks for a fantastic year, thought-provoking, challenging. Man, I really look forward to unpacking 2022 with you. Likewise, Jeff, it's always been fun as always. And for our listeners, have a happy holidays and, and, a, and, a, and looking forward to wishing you guys a great year. Take care, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.